always start, one thing I hate about presentations is when halfway through I have a really, really good question at the end. I can't get ahead of this. So if you've got any comments or questions, or your name is Rick or Aaron, just feel free to interrupt at any point during the talk. <laughs> oh, sorry, Aaron. Stood in the wrong place. Uh, I was going to introduce myself. I think you all met me before, haven't you? So, I'm Robert Laidman, by the way. Hello! Um, I run a small IT business. We do QA audits, data protection audits, write software, that sort of thing. And you're a media darling as well. Indeed, yes. Techno tart, as I like to call it. Now, what I'm about to talk about tonight is what I define as borderless networks, okay, or borderless networking. It's not necessarily what everyone else would agree with, but that's the term I'm going to use, um, so you're stuck with it. It's only going to be a brief overview, it's not going to be massively technical, but what I want to do is to dispel some of the misconceptions, because there's a lot of cobblers being spoken about it out there in the blogs, um, and give a rough outline of what it means or what its approach is. I'll try and contrast it with the current sort of classic approach to networking and show you really where the differences are. First of all, I'm going to tell you what it's not, okay? Well, it's not according to me anyway. It doesn't mean just joining up with the customers and suppliers. This is really what Cisco will make you believe it is if you go to their site. Um, they're really viewing it as, as the borderless network really means a, a sort of a, a absorbing of your customers' networks into yours and having no border between the two. It, it, it sort of is that, but that's not the real reason for doing it. Um, it's one of the reasons that the thing called the Jericho Forum, which I'll talk about later, I hope, um, came together. But uh, that's not really what it is, that's, that's the sort of Cisco view. And it also isn't about joining VPNs, if you've got distant offices from your company joining them all together and having a sort of borderless network. So if you're in one side, it feels like you're in the other. That's also what you do, but it isn't the real reason for it. The big misconception about it is that borderless means you're going to throw away your firewall. You know, you don't, you're just going to get rid of it and put your machines out on the raw internet. That's the criticism you'll come across of it. Um, out there in the blogs, which is, oh yeah, that's what the Jericho Forum are talking about, that's uh, what uh, borderless network is, and it's, that's actually what borderless network isn't at all. It's nothing to do with that, okay? And it's, it's a really major misconception. The, the main reason for that is that some of the marketing material from the people promoting borderless networks can be summed up in one line. And they ask a question which is, could you, in theory, operate your entire network if it were on the internet? In other words, you would take all the components of your network and put them in various places on the internet. Would you still be able to run securely your network like that? They're not proposing it, but that's what people have picked up and, and think is happening. But the idea is that you should be able to have secure enough devices to actually be able to do that in the, in the ideal world. We're not there yet because of the capabilities or lack of capabilities of machines. Um, it's actually happening now, whether you like it or not. If you go to Weatherspoons or McDonald's and take your little Wi-Fi phone, you don't drag your firewall and your perimeter into Weatherspoons with you. you. You sort of take it on trust that the Weatherspoons network down in the counting house. Okay, Chris doesn't get. Yeah. <laughs> we know Chris would break it, but uh, you don't. You don't. You don't really take it, or you do take it on trust that it's going to be okay. But you're not taking your entire network with you. So, so this criticism of it in the blogs is actually not reflecting what people do. They wander around with devices in their pockets all the time. 
that are attaching to networks. Um, now, don't start. <laughs> no, actually, I'll come to that later. Actually, the answer to that is sort of no and sort of yes. But you wish I hadn't asked now. So, okay, fascinating as all that was, Robert, what the hell is borderless networking, okay? Well, the idea really is that you should recognise that your network perimeter, if you like, is, has been, or will be penetrated. Okay, you can take your pick out of that, really. Um, that's what it means. It means you should treat your internal network as a hostile network, as hostile as the raw internet. Okay, because even if it isn't now, <coughs> the chances are it will be in future, or it may well already have been compromised, you just don't know. Yeah, same goes for this, the network in here. You have no idea whether the university's network is inherently secure. You might have a clue that it might not be, but you have no idea what other devices are out there looking at you, monitoring what you're doing. So you should treat your own network in the same way, because if it's compromised and you don't know, it's the same type of network. So in effect, what you're trying to do is secure every host you have, host PC or device or whatever you want to call it, against every other host. Now, you may already have heard of this, but it has lots of other names, and uh, the one the Jericho Forum calls it is deperimeterization, which really trips off the tongue. And uh, that's exactly the same thing as what I call borderless networks. That's the reason I call it borderless, because it's a hell of a lot easier than pronouncing uh, deperimeterization at the time. Now, the Jericho Forum was a bunch of sysadmins in large enterprises who got together informally in 2003 to talk about perimeter erosion or crumbling perimeters, as they put it. And they formally came together in 2004 and formed something called the Jericho Forum. Jericho, if you don't know the reference, was a biblical town which was believed to be really massively fortified, couldn't be knocked down by anything. Some bloke came along with a load of trumpets and uh, blew it down. It's not, you know, it's a pretty good reference, really. They basically came together to try and, if we go back to what I said about the Cisco idea of what borderless networks is, to try and get their networks to work together, but still to be secure. Yeah? The, interestingly enough, it was a chap at the Royal Mail in the UK who came up with the word deperimeterization in 2001, a chap called uh, John Meacham. I don't like the term primarily because it's hard to pronounce, but more because it seems to imply that you're going to go and pull down your perimeter, you're going to rip out all the fences you've got, deperimeterize yourself, and expose you and everything you have to the internet, which again is that misconception I pointed out earlier. That isn't, again, what deperimeterization means. So, really, deperimeterization and borderless don't cover it. They don't really have the meaning they, they seem to have. But what you might think is that borderless networking or borderless computing is where you want to get to, and deperimeterization is the process, you know, the verb you're going to use to get there. So, we know what it is. We're going to secure each host and every host against every other host and assume we have a hostile network even when we're at home. And really, the next thing we're going to cover is the current approach, which you can see is this one, the sort of classic diagram here. Here's my perimeter and my file, there's the internet, we're all hunky-dory. This is the, the fortress approach, you know, it's the big castle with the entrance guarded by a firewall and, and so on. Often you'll have a DMZ, a demilitarised 
demilitarised zone, which is where you put your web servers for public access. And uh, the reason for having them at DMZDs. Yeah, because you might compromise your internal network. Well, hello, there's a big fat clue to a problem. If, if you're having to put these things outside, that tells you that your internal network is a soft target, soft and easy. It tells you what the main problem with this is, which is um, you can harden the perimeter as much as you like, but once you're in it, then you're like the, the classical Trojan horse. Once you're in, you can let loose the dogs of war because you're past the firewall. Yeah? And every machine after that is liable to be incredibly easy to penetrate. What we tend to do is um, view this as an, an inside and an outside. Yeah, this is inside us, and that lot's all outside the internet, somewhere else. Uh, one thing about the word internet is it's a joining of two shortened words. It, it doesn't mean, for instance, in Gaelic, Scots Gaelic, the word for internet is etherleon, meaning between nets. But it doesn't mean that. They just take an inter it's to mean inter between. It's short for interconnected networks. There isn't an us and them. It's all about being interconnected. And this model really is the us and them mentality. And it's the classic one. The other, the other thing that tends to happen is you tend to harden the perimeter, harden the firewall as much as possible. You can end up over-hardening it. So you need to open a port or a number of ports for services inside your firewall, particularly if you're um, having remote administration or you're providing remote services to a partner company or something like that, yeah? or you're, you know, you're wanting to administer your own uh, website or something internally. Now, the problem is that that immediately compromises that model. Once you open a port in the firewall to an internal machine, specific internal machine, you basically drag that internal machine right up to the perimeter. That's what you've done. You're not opening a port into your network. You're dragging that machine right up to the perimeter. And over-hardening leads to that. The other problem with this is there's certain things that will just go straight through Skype. Straight out through your firewall, straight back in through your firewall. You know that, that's why people love Skype. Um, if you interfere with the way Skype works, it just works its way through all the protocols it can. It goes via HTTP, then it tries HTTPS and so on until it can get out and get in. VoIP usually has to go in and out through your firewall as well, and VoIP is terribly insecure. There's, a, there's an awful long way to go with VoIP. I know you probably think, oh, well, Skype is VoIP, but non-Skype VoIP, if you like, it is very insecure um, and tends to have to, to pass through your firewall. You tend to have to open ports for it. The other thing is that perimeter defense like this often can't defend you against the black hat stuff that comes in via email or comes in from a website. There are, Programs around that you can install on the firewall through, if you proxy your connections that can scan an HTTP stream for malicious files, viruses, and so on. But quite frankly, if someone's going out over HTTPS over SSL or SSH, you, you can't intercept that by, by default, by definition rather. You can't see what's in the stream, so you, you're, you're stuck there as well. The other thing is, and I am guilty of this, there, aren't, there isn't anyone here who actually um, worked on my uh, application. No, that's good. I can, I can actually just pretend I'm awesome. But I'm quite guilty of this. The attitude of we're safe because we're behind the firewall can lead to slack application design. Okay, I've been guilty of this. 
most of my customers run my software internally and uh, because of that you don't build in certain safeguards that you would for, a, for an externally facing application. You maybe don't bother with um, only three attempts for entering an entering a, uh, application because as far as you're concerned you're considering it as safe inside the firewall, you're considering all the staff as safe inside the firewall. So that's the other thing, you can induce a false sense of security. Now, <clears throat> the other difficulty with this is it's, uh, it's really two-dimensional, which was fine when you, know, you had a dial-up mode and that was your connection to the internet. But if you take it and turn it this way, you can see that it can be compromised quite easily by newer devices, if you like. Um, If you consider a handheld device with, say, 3G GSM and Wi-Fi, BlackBerry or an iPhone or whatever, some new device or a current device, that you are required by your company to connect to the internal network when you're there, via Wi-Fi, say. If in some way it's compromised so that a connection can come in over 3G, the access to the internal network is through a completely new dimension. Your firewall is not only not capable of stopping it, it's not even aware of it. It's living in flatland, and all these other connections are coming in through this other dimension. So, you know, that, that's, that's a three-dimensional view of the network, if you like. And nothing you do for hardware in the perimeter there is going to change that. You could try building sort of the equivalent of a dome, but let's face it, the next new technology comes along and you're, you're struggling again. And I'm not even talking here about rogue, which gives you another insight as well, rogue Wi-Fi points, um, you know, that can be installed on the network, supposedly innocently. Where do send waves like the um, access points? Yes. Can you get in Windows 7 so you can turn it to an access point and I believe it's linked by default? Well, indeed. I mean, I've also, I've also got uh, Azora, such a little tiny Linux device. You can run a host AP on that. I can walk around a building with something which is smaller than a notebook in my pocket and it's a, it's a Wi-Fi point, you know, so, but, but again, you can see that old model has gone really, or you should, you should be thinking in slightly different terms. So that's my criticism, if you like, of the current situation. So, you know, what's the big news? What's borderless? How is this supposed to help? Well, if you think that this model really is the fortress model, big wall, everything inside is safe, then the borderless model is more of a hotel. You can wander at liberty through the bar and in the public areas, but every room has got a lock on the door. You can invite your customers into the bar, that's not a problem, but your room's locked. So the model there is, is the motel, the hotel room, if you like. Um, <clears throat> you might still have a great big wall around the outside as well, protect you from the normal threats. There is no need to discard your current firewall if necessary, and that, again, as I said, is a misconception. But what you're going to do is is to bring the perimeter in and multiply it to each device, each host on your network, so that each host is protected from every other one. The other thing that does, it tends to do, is drop the inside versus outside idea. You know, we're inside the network, we're outside the network. Um, you know, when you leave your hotel room, you're outside the room. And that also then tends to mitigate so-called insider attacks, attacks, because if every host is protected from the other, then an insider attack is actually no different 
and an outsider attack, and you're already protecting against it. This sort of thing sounds like it's just for corporates, you know, the big lads and all the rest of it, but it's not about the perimeter, it's about the perimeters. So it's about a perimeter on everything, every device you've got. So even if you're at home, the principle is that if at home you've got a PC in a small network, you know, behind a router, and you've got a, a netbook, maybe an iPhone or whatever else, the idea is that when you're out to your netbook, you would protect it while it's on the Wi-Fi network and so on. The idea is when you come home to your safe network, you continue to use an encrypted communication method to share your files with your PC. You treat your local network as if it were a hostile network. The other underlying idea is that that should be a one granny solution, very simple. Now, you asked before about SS, every client should have an SSH, um, every, machine, every device should have an SSH client on it. The idea is more to use IPSEC, which is a level three protocol in the OSI networking model. SSH, SSL, and so on are at level four. So if it's done at level three, it's pretty much transparent to you. You haven't got to harden your applications it's already done at that level. You haven't got to use SSH because your comms are already encrypted yeah, at, that, 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 at that lower level. So the idea is it will be transparent. So when you did come home to your own network, it just assumes that it's a hostile environment and carries on working that way. So when they say borderless network, they mean treat your network or deperimeterization. They mean treat your network as if the border wasn't there, not to get rid of it. Again, it's not about throwing out the firewall, it's, it's just about treating everything as, as having a perimeter and bringing that perimeter a lot closer to you. The idea is to harden each device to protect each device, not just the network, and to protect the data on the device. <clears throat> okay, because the you know, you, you, there are obviously ethical hackers here, so you're probably going to disagree with me, which is fine. But uh, I know I'm talking, so you can just be quiet. But there's two types of attack, really. There's vandalism and uh, data theft, if you like. And I would say to you that all the rest are just subsets of that. Okay? Now, the black hats know their product. And if you're a black hack, you know your product well, you're not vandalizing. You want email, account details, personal information. So you need to secure the device and the data on the device. That means encryption, encrypting your hard disk and so on. That's what hardening your device means. Um, now, the other aspect of that is if you are running a hardened bunch of devices on your network and someone brings another device in, is you may need to have automated standards for what can and cannot connect to your network. <clears throat> what you don't want is for someone to bring in a device that compromises everything else. So there are um, packages out there that can do that for you. They are more geared towards the corporate and so on. But um, the idea is, the overall idea of the borderless network is that it should be as difficult to compromise individual machines inside the network as it is to puncture the perimeter. So instead of this, I can get through the perimeter and then all your network is belong to me, is when you, when you get in, you find it's just as hard. Now, there are problems with this, okay? Um, 
Each device needs management. Yeah, what's new? Yes, okay, you have to manage your devices most of the time anyway. When I discussed this with a couple of, a couple of you before um, last week, you know, the comment I got was, well, if you go this route, then every user is going to have to manage their local firewall, firewall settings and, you know, deal with their own antivirus and, and so on. Well, welcome to the world of Windows, really. It's already happening, really. It's, you know, the perimeter's already been eroded and, and, and so on. You do wonder when you look at the approach that Windows is now taking, which is you have an onboard firewall all the time, as opposed to Ubuntu, where when you install it, you haven't got a firewall, so am I correct? That's why I'm to me when I install Ubuntu, there's no firewall installed, UFW. Or if it's installed, it's not running. It's installed but not running. It's installed but not running, yeah. The, when I looked up why, the, the reason was because we're not running any services that are vulnerable. Right? Okay, <laughs> I have many comments to make about that, but, but at least nowadays, and I know Windows was like that before, but now you boot up a Windows machine first, you first switch it on, and it does really take this approach to a certain extent. You still have the network neighbourhood that's available and so on, but you know that's that's really perhaps a model we should look at more as Linux people. You know, they know it, it's assumed that a Windows machine is is easily compromised, but the assumption about a Linux machine is it's not. But perhaps what we should do is actually be turning the, turning the Linux view the other way around, which is start assuming we're just as vulnerable. It's just we haven't been hit yet. I know all the other arguments about no viruses and so on, but it's just an approach we can take. The other problems with the borderless network is uh, VoIP really spoils the party. You know, it's not secure. Um, it's a lot more work to do, to do with it. It's a bit disappointing, really, if you look at something like Asterisk. Okay, it, it has, you know, it runs on the VoIP protocols and all the rest of it, but there's nothing really there in VoIP that's designed for real security. There are some certificate things you can do for deploying to devices, but it's more about controlling the, the distant device that wants to contact you rather than inherent security. The other one is uh, printers. Your average printer has no facilities whatsoever for secure communication. Absolutely none. Um, you might not think that's much, but if I capture the postscript stream that's going to your printer from where you're printing, I haven't actually got to do much work to see it. All I've actually got to do is two things. I can print it out on my PostScript printer, or I can just view it in Ocular, KPDF, Adobe Acrobat will view PostScript files. You know, that's, that's a pretty good way of getting information out. The other thing as well is the higher-end machines actually have a memory in them and can often store the <laughs> The printouts, you know, make off with the memory, thanks very much, or just work my way into the printer and, and, and peel stuff out, you know, so... Sorry? They, yeah, I know, my, my, the last three printers I bought had, have their own little web server inside. They're not, you don't talk to them via HTTPS. You can't talk to them via HTTPS, so it's compromised your borderless model straight off. Yeah, you can slap them on the back of a cup server and, and use that securely, but even, even so, you know, it's... There are problems with this borderless approach, really. Handheld devices, <laughs> now they are often insecure, particularly because they tend to be closed. It's a closed device, you can't review it, you can't patch it yourself. Look at the iPhone, there was an iPhone root kit um, a few months ago, which went through all the jailbroken iPhones, I think, yeah, didn't it? And uh, you know, that's a similar sort of thing, that, that's, a, that's a device that's I mean, that's what I'm about, because the owners of that. Jailbroke, 
But it could be done. So, <laughs> uh, if it had been an open system, it's possible it could have been patched. You know. But regardless whether it was jailbroken or, or not, again, it's, it's a, a possible compromise of your of your of your network. You know. And the other example I've got at home is a UT Starcom F3000 Wi-Fi phone from about 2005. I was studying Arab this earlier on, and uh, it's a little Wi-Fi phone. It connects to VoIP, connects to the local you know Wi-Fi point. Seems great. Uh, unfortunately, if you look it up, you find it's got an unpassworded, unusernamed R login prompt on it. You can go straight in via the IP to a VXWork shell on the machine. Okay, and VXWorks lets you then modify and look around and see what packets are flying past this little tiny device. Yeah. And I only found that out having had them, the phone for two or three years now because I was looking up information for this. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just check the phone. Yeah, sure enough, it was there listed with a whole load of other devices that can just be got in. It doesn't sound like much, but <clears throat> once it's in your network, it, it registers with a VoIP server. Remember I said VoIP spoils the party, yeah? If you can get onto the device easily, you can use the VoIP server to pass commands back to the phone and get it to do all sorts of nasty things on a notionally safe network. But it also rather spoils the borderless network party, as I said. Lastly, the other criticism of it is, yeah, but what if it goes wrong? Well, you know, your network, it's all compromised. Well, guess what? That's where we are now. Yes? If you're not doing it, that's the state of your network now. As soon as they compromise your firewall, that's you. You're owned. Yeah? Now, now, I talked about the... Uh, Jericho Forum, they come up with, came up with some rules. There's 11 of them, so it must be really good because it goes all the way up to 11. And it's all full of corporates, most of it. But the, the ones I, I put in bold here, you know, devices applications must communicate using open secure protocols. That's really interesting. These you know, corporate types said they've got to be open. Whatever's there's got to be open. All devices must be capable of maintaining their security policy. In other words, any implementation must be capable of surviving with the raw internet. Again, that's probably where this misconception comes that that's what you're going to have to do. You haven't got to do it. What it says is it should be capable of it. In other words, when you wander into weather spoons, in your cases, if you like, you should be confident <coughs> that your device is as secure as it could be. And uh, data privacy requires a segregation. Administrator access must also be subject to controls. I mean, the problem is the admin who can do everything. And, and there are obviously uh, ways to counter that. There's um, SE Linux and App Armor, which allow you to prevent root from doing certain things. Um, now, those are the commandments. Obviously, they're carrying the biblical reference here, and there's the link for it. There's also a practical guide to implementing it, which is actually quite good. It's actually quite practical as well. It's not sort of you know, everything would be wonderful if you do this. It's quite practical and points out the limitations. They're well, well worth visiting. So really, um, oh, and there's a question for you as well there, just to think about, which is really, you know, where is actually your network perimeter? You know, is it home behind your router or does it also include your, your in-pocket device? So to dis disappoint you, if you like, uh, borderless doesn't actually mean borderless and deperimeterization doesn't mean deperimeterization. But we're in the computing industry, we're used to words meaning completely the opposite to what they say, you know, it's the usual marketing thing. 
so that's it for me. I, I told you it wouldn't be too technical, it wouldn't be too long. But if you've got any questions, nobody interrupted me, which is, well, a couple of people do. So if you've got any other questions, then <coughs> fire away. I do think it's the way we'll end up going. In some ways, it's drifting gently that way anyway. But, you know, if you've got a chance to actually actively do it, well, then be forced to do it. One thing you mentioned about printer rules, uh, <coughs> this uh, in America, this uh, <coughs> quite a city council, uh, they had about 2,000 uh, computers, sort of viruses, and traced it all came from a line printer. A printer? A printer. Well, that, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm saying, how the hell could you get to the printer book when you're saying things, you know? Mm. Well, again, you know, it's, if they've got web servers on them, you know, yeah. as Tim pointed out, if they've got web servers on them, it's just a web server. You know, it can, it can be compromised. It's a library, for example, <coughs> and doesn't have administrator passwords there, which means you can upload new firmware to it anyways. Which, and if it has the capability of operating a web server, then <coughs> it clearly has a capability of sending and receiving HTTP packets. So you only have to know the compiler you have to use in the language you have to use and then you can write your own little web server that instead of whenever something is sent to the printer it redirects it and sends it somewhere else. Well indeed, you just takes a copy off for, for, yeah. for your own benefit, yeah. You know, very harmful for universities. Indeed, and that's a big grown-up machine as it were, you know. It's, uh, it's an old example of people taking on printers and things, the HP um, protocol itself that they've got the login protocol for the HP printers. And you can override that and write anything you want to the LCD screen as well. Really? Yes. Yeah. I mean, these sort of hardware devices, particularly printers, they're not, they don't really think security. You know, how many of these routers have you got? You can only access them through HTTP. They might say you can only do it through your local network and not the wide area network. This is, sorry, it's the same principle, for example, yeah. routers, because uh, they allow local access. They don't allow global access, but they allow access within the subnet. So that means as soon as you have access to the local PC or even just the web page, you can uh, redirect requests to the router. Indeed. Well, I, I mean, I've seen compromised Windows machines where I, I've watched the squid log go by, and there it is trying to access all the router default pages and passwords. Yes, Aaron, sorry. You, you touched on it before, the, the, the one crappy solution, but in, in this context that you, you're talking about, it, we're asking the user to, to engage in a way that we've never asked them to engage with before. We've, we've set gateways in place for them, and, and almost checkpoints, mm. that we pass your traffic through here, this will act as your secure gateway, will protect you. How do we now go about redefining the landscape for them now and saying, now you are in charge of your device? But uh, I, I, and I mean in, in particular, like we say, the one brand solution, how do we ask Aunt Thelma now that she really does need to understand why this firewall is saying what it's saying? Yeah, but the, you know, it's a question mark. No, well, I'm really there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. But there, really, as I said before, um, and I'm not trying to not answer the question, but I think we should look Windowswards in some ways, ignore XP and all the previous stuff. I know it's hard to do that, but if you look at Windows 7 now, out of the box, everything's switched on. Um, and, and so is this a, 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 an OS developer's 
issue, or is this something else? At the point now, I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. In some ways, um, you know, Auntie Thelma is actually having to. Auntie Thelma is actually having to do it now anyway. You know, if cousin Jim comes along and says, "Look, you really need antivirus," and Norton's really good, um, she's having to do that anyway. And, and at the moment, there isn't any cure for that. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't all be repairing our neighbours' machines when they go wrong. Because let's face it, that's what quite often happens. How we do it, I don't know. As, as I know, I've said before, most users need a AA battery, and we give them a nuclear power station. So, you know, I haven't really got an answer to that. But I do think looking at the way Windows now does it, which is where it has a built-in malicious software tool. And it has, it seems ironic to be talking about Windows at a Linux meeting, but it has the firewall switched on from day one, installed. By default, it talks about, it does make the mistake of talking about a local network and a public network, which is wrong. But, you know, by default, a number of things are, are, are turned on. I think that's the only answer, really. Yes? Um, is the situation with borderless networks like even more extreme than what you presented them now? Because you've got extra services which are outside to a firewall, not even controlled by your organization which you're relying on, so like, you, know, you may have um, social networking sites or yeah. um, uh, the CRM things and stuff, which are mostly yeah. services, you know, it, it how, is. how do you cope with that? And well, obviously the, the original Jericho forum came from the big lads, as it were, you know, looking at corporate control, and they tend to have central control, but the, the, the issues that you brought up are usually already there anyway with the current fortress model. But I do know what you mean. Once we move beyond that and everyone's gone to borderless, how are you going to control that? The whole sort of borderless networks thing anyway is a philosophy to address what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they talk about perimeter erosion and that's what they're really saying, you know. It's a um, I guess, though, it's like, it seems like it's a acknowledging that they, they, can no, they can no longer have a entire control over the whole network and that they have to. It, it, they talk about. Yeah, I mean, they do use the word policy a lot. It's not a word I, I use a lot because it has too many meanings. But what they do actually talk about is um, they talk. They call it end-to-end -end encryption. But I would actually say what they're talking about is controlling the data, not not necessarily even the device. You know, they do drift into DRM, so-called digital rights management, but not, not very strongly. But what they talk about is is it's not just about securing the device, but it's about securing access to the data on the device. Um, that being the product, as it were, that the, the black hats want, um, which in some ways deals with that. But, but what has also got to come away, I think, is the idea that it, it is someone's personal machine. I mean, like we have that sort of distinction anyway, in that we have root and we have our users, but usually distros are focused on the idea that actually there's just one user just coincidentally uses roots, you know, to administer stuff. Um, but I think that will have to be more enforced, you know, maybe even to the point where, in fact, you, you don't really control your machine in, in some ways. Tim? Um, I was just wondering, I mean, isn't that matter above OS development, or rather, I mean, we're talking about firewalls and uh, the use of securing a machine within a network to, uh, say, rather than having it seen as an internal secure network, seeing it as a possibly not secure network and thereby manifesting security procedures so that the machine, if the network is infested, doesn't get infested. But isn't that just 
a lot of you, then the whole problem relies on even even if you have a secure machine, say with a firewall on it, it still means that uh, it's vulnerable to spam or you know uh, viruses received via email and uh, applications in general. So wouldn't that be just application security on top of machine security on top of network security? Yes, in some way, and you are exactly right. And if you go back to the original drawing I had, where it said things can, you know, you can't block the black hats sites. Then yeah, I agree. But the difference is that you're sort of isolating the bad cell, hopefully. And and, and yes, so you still would be compromisable. So yes. It does. It does indeed. <laughs> However, if you've got a a monoculture because you applied it across the board to all your machines, you're in just as much just as much trouble. I mean, at the moment, borderless networks defense is, well, if it all goes horribly wrong, it's no worse than the current situation. That's not really a very positive sort of, <laughs> you know, that's not a very, very positive approach because once the old style fortress mentality is gone, what are we going to do if it gets compromised? So, yeah, is, it, right. is the approach not just security and depth? Is, is there any more than that? There is a bit more. It's, it's to do with, I mean, I, I rather um, glossed over the idea that a lot of it is to do with it being transparent. So not, not only can the user not switch it off, but they're not really even aware of it. Yeah, so you don't, you, the user hasn't got to use SSH or HTTPS because it's all actually done at a, a lower, you know, much closer to the, the hardware level. Yeah. What do you think the level is when it comes to users and control and security? Do you think it's so much as you know, need to go out and tell people, oh, you need antivirus? You need a firewall, or do you think it's so much uh, as far as actually teaching people how to use these products efficiently? I mean, what do you gauge of where we're at in the world? Be honest that if you look at the user landscape out there, um, and, and in fact, if you, if you look at the, the people who came together here for Jericho, you know, they understand their user landscape, which is they're all DFUs, and they're all going to be everything's going to be broken unless you take away their sharp knife and give them a crayon because and really that's what I mean it's got to be transparent and I think what you have to do with educating the user is take away that burden of, of educating the user completely really I mean it's in, you can't you can't nanny them but there's you know there's a difference between I, I think I think the problem is that at the moment you give them a nice sharp knife if you get a sharp knife you know it's sharp you know you're going to hurt yourself and there are nutters with knives, I admit, but most people are going to be really careful with the knife because they know it's problems. A PC, they don't. So I think what you've got to do is, is take away the, the dangerous toys. It sounds a bit like a trusted computer model going on, we don't trust you. It is, but yeah, it is. That, that's it, and I'm trusting. But the, the, the problem is that the other side of that is a bit like Rick's talk on freedom and, and control. Um, the other side of the coin there is, is Apple's idea of tying down the device and even tying down the app store. You know, it's not really so much of a commercial thing, I think, as people think it is. It's more to do with trying to make sure their device isn't compromised. It's a losing battle. They've lost it straight off, really. But the, the other side of that coin is a, is, a, is a device that's so controlled and locked down that you, it's not really yours, in very common, you know, in very commas. It's, it's an awkward position, really. I mean, if you're talking <coughs> within, like, uh, networks within companies, then it's not really theirs anyways, because it shouldn't be used for any other purpose apart from... Work. Indeed, it's a lot easier to, well, notionally it's a lot easier to control. The problem is that the VP usually outranks the head of IT and 
gets to bring little Johnny's PC in and gets to take his home. <coughs> there are other things they've done here which I haven't really covered. One of them was where you have a portable device, like a, a network or, or whatever. Um, what you do as a, a corporation, if you like, is you buy, let me step back a bit actually, once you can secure a machine and come to that point where, as I said, the idea is that you'd have a, a machine with a hardened OS capable of just being dropped on the internet. Once you achieve that point, the idea is that you put that out on the internet, a mirror of what you run in-house, because there isn't an inside and outside anymore, and your distant devices, which you're talking about, are normally part of the network, but they might get taken home, connect on the internet to the same sort of server they would be using in-house. In other words, they're using the cloud, as it's now called, um, to run the equivalent of what they would run in-house as a suitably secure server. So that distant device, which the VP takes home, even when he's at home on his insecure network, all his connection go out, connections go out to this secure... It's never off. This, yes, because in effect, because there is no longer an inside and an outside, well, there still will be, you can put your control mechanisms outside in the cloud or whatever you want to call it. And he, your VP, he or she can connect as if they were still at the office. So letting them take the machine home is no longer a problem. And if that machine they take home is also geared to think every network is hostile, then even if little Jimmy's PC is completely Trojan ridden, his machine's still secure. So that, that's, I, I didn't cover that either, I said. You know, it's a hell of a lot more. It really is worth visiting the Jericho site. Um, it's not a, they're not trying to sell you anything, they've just got this, this, this view of things. Yes, Aaron. It's a twofold question. <clears throat> For people listening to this later on, how many system admins are you going to think are going to be saying that, 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 so, you know, about having outside threats and the impact that IPv6 is going to have on this model as well? Or, or uh, this model being needed greater due to IPv6? Version six. How many of them are going to say, actually, or more correctly, why didn't you cover IPv6? Is that really what you're trying to say? I, I was going to, um, this is, yeah, you're right, this will, the borderless networking and IPv6 are fairly intimately linked. Um, you know, with, with IPv6, you can get away without a DHCP server to hand out addresses. You, know, you could do with IPv4, it doesn't work really work that way. There are millions of addresses. The thing with IPv6 is, you know, I talked about it, IPsec down at that lower level, you know, down at level three there below SSH and so on. IPsec has built-in support for it and for quality of service and so on. Um, that's also important in the borderless network model because of a major threat that's not talked about, if you like, is denial of service. If you've got a notion of the open network that's secure, denial of service is the problem. IPv6, I think, is going to bring borderless network <coughs> in, whether you like it or not. I suspect that your iPhone is going to pretty soon get an IPv6 address. Yes, it's going to be internet enabled and that'll be it. I suspect that your telephone pretty soon is going to be an IPv6 in the UK address because BT's 20CN or 2000CN or 20CN, whatever you want to call it, 20 first century network, as it should be, not 20th century network, but 2000. Uh, they're going to make all of your phones IP-based. 
Well, there's how many million households in the UK? An awful lot, more than there are before addresses available, still free. So how would you go about doing that? Well, you could NAT it, but let's face it, we can't have a whole, you could use the 1000 range, perhaps, you know, you've got 16 million numbers there, but it's going to be a bit clunky when it comes to uh, handing out IP addresses to everyone. So what would you do if you're going to have telephones over IP? You can use IPv6. Now, once your telephone's a device that's out there in the wild, which it will be, because it's unlikely that BT are going to say, yeah, you can fire all your, your own telephone system, then borderless networks, they're here whether you like it or not. And you really, really don't want someone to be able to compromise your telephone. Uh, you know, that's quite bad news. Um, for all you know, your mobile's compromised, but when it comes down to your, your, your home, you know, as for how many um, admins will just go, no, no, this is just yeah, crap to use in technical terms. system admins now saying, but we've got none, so... Well, yeah, but, you know, I, 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 I must say, when I first saw this, I thought, throw my firewall, firewall away, I'd rather repeatedly slam my head in the door, thanks very much. But when you actually look into it, it's not really talking about that. I, I do see an awful lot of difficulties if we move beyond, <coughs> say, beyond NAT. What you have to remember is NAT came in because of the notional shortage of IPv4 addresses and then has become a sort of now deemed to be, isn't it wonderful, but it was, it was only a, a way of a, a stopgap really, you know, it's, it does work reasonably well but it, it actually leads to that false sense of security in some ways. If you see a local address, it must therefore be on my network, therefore it's safe, you know. That is not a chain of reasoning you should really be following these well, days. No, that, that BT technical trainers turn around and say that it's, uh, it's a security benefit to be behind that. Let's know what. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I can see initially why you would say something, but I should well, sell that as the truth. The, the problem is, I think, is the, the film moves very quickly, and what might have been true mm -hmm. 10 years ago probably even wasn't then, but it might have been thought of as true generally. It just really isn't any. Yeah. I mean, I don't see where one can end. As, as you say, it's the old view of internal and external network, and then moving away from this idea of having one border or one DMZ. But where would one stop? Does one stop just at machine level, or is it just continuous until you make sure that no application ever used can access everything it shouldn't? Yeah. It's the best answer to that. Because, well, an application is really an app, a proxy for the user. So you don't want the user to go everywhere, really. So if, you, if you view the application as acting on behalf of the user, which is really what it does. Yeah. Well, I didn't that was a question, though. Yeah. I, 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 do, I do actually think that's the way. I mean, once you, you start with, well, my communications need to be secure, you then start thinking, as I said, it's about securing the data. You then think, well, Surely my application then should be secure. If, if an application can't trust any other host, which it shouldn't, then yeah, that should be secure. And then you go to the point, well, surely then if I can't trust anyone accessing the application, unless they've got the credentials or whatever, then I should really secure the data as well. So, so yeah, I do think it, at the moment the perimeter, it actually has to come inside the machine. In effect, it's got to come beyond the adapter. You have the host and the adapter. It's got to come into the adapter, which is roughly where it is now, into the host and then right down into, into the data. You know, the secure, secret secure operating 
systems, if you like, that have to be have to be um, validated really work that way. You know, the, the granularity is very fine of what you can and cannot touch. So yes, I think we'll all end up as you know, our machines. Uh, if the machine's going to be an extension of you, you want it to be as secure as your liver, quite frankly, you know, well, certain exceptions in this room, obviously, but, you know, you want it to be as secure as something inside your body, really, and, and that does mean bringing security all the way in. Probably in the future, it might be the fact that, you know, brings a computer into the DNA. Um, well, you know, get a neural interface and someone hacks it, you're really in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> Let's face it, if you wake up naked and covered in feathers and grease and... Abyssinia, you're really going to want to know how that happened. <laughs> I've always wanted to know. But, you know. <laughs> All right, any, anyone else? No? Well, thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs. 